0: You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. So please open your Bibles to Genesis 24. This week we get back on track in Genesis. It's the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, and it's actually one of the the longest in the entire Bible. And, um, you know, Genesis 24 is really, uh, it's a wonderful chapter. It's filled with a lot of excitement. There's a lot of drama. Um, uh, It contains uh, one of the best love stories in the world, and who doesn't like a great love story? But there are also many practical themes. And, uh, and I just love how the Bible is so practical. It's literally a, a, a handbook for daily living. Uh, there are themes on how to relate to other people, heartfelt prayer, childlike obedience. There is parental concern, and, and of course, the divine guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, if this was a screenplay, it would be a blockbuster. It's a story of true love, and uh, now some say that... It, uh, It takes two to make a marriage. It takes a single girl and an anxious mother. But in this case, God actually couples Isaac and his bride and makes a wonderful, wonderful marriage. So we're going to jump right into it. I'll read the passages and then we'll pray. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had, put, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my right thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac." The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the, land, to, to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who spoke to me or, and who took me from my father's house from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must make sure not to take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And then he said his hand was very cold. Uh, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please, let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink? I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. And before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden from whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, "Please give me a drink of water. Give me a little water to drink from your jar." And she said, "Drink, my lord." And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when he had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all of his camels. Now the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please, tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milka, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about all these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. And as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels of the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house. And unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. Now, from verse 34 to 49 uh, is really just the testimony of this servant to Rebecca and to uh, his family or her family about Isaac, and his father Abraham. And so we're going to jump to verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord and the servant brought out jewelry, jewelry of silver, of gold, and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, eh, why don't you let the young woman remain with us for a while? At least ten days and then after that she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, Well, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent Rebekah. Their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. And may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now when Isaac had returned from Beer Lahoy Roy and was dwelling in the Negev, Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes, and he saw, behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah, she lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, God, this day that you have made. And so we want to rejoice in it, God, but we want to rejoice in it with you. So we want to draw near to you, God, to give you thanks, to to be with you, and to give this day back to you. To say that we trust you and that we believe you and, and to acknowledge that if there's anything, anything at all, that we need more today, it's you, Jesus. So please come close and draw near to us, Lord. I pray that everything spoken today would be done by and through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that you, through your word and through your Holy Spirit, would encourage everyone here to trust themselves to you completely, to be led by you, to be guided by you, to be provided for by you. And Holy Spirit, I, I just give you all of me now and ask, Lord, that you would use me. So we thank you. We need you, Lord, and we love you. And pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So what we've seen up to this point in our study is that the story of Genesis often involves these barriers uh, that, uh, that we need to overcome in order for the Abrahamic covenant to continue. And in our text today, Abraham is still alive, but this chapter effectively brings to end the storyline of Abraham, and then we pick it up with Isaac and and continuing on the divine promise with uh, Abraham's descendants. So the story turns this focus upon to Isaac and his future. All of Genesis 24 up to the first 11 verses in chapter 25 records for us the last days of Abraham and we see in the distant setting what's happening is that back in Genesis 12, the promise that I will make of you a great nation uh, in Genesis 12 uh, is, is kind of what's in the distant setting. And then just preceding Genesis 24, we have uh, the, the story relating to the death and burial of Sarah. So now there's no mother in Israel. Sarah's tent is empty. Abraham is old, and as a matter of fact, these are the last recorded words of Abraham in the Bible. And Isaac is still single, probably the first 40-year-old virgin. (laughs) Now, for this nation to come about, Isaac, the only son of promise, needs a wife. And if Isaac dies, the covenant dies. So, in a very literal sense, Rebecca is actually filling the void in the Abrahamic covenant by taking Sarah's place and then thus allowing uh, the, the promise to continue through the birth line. So, the approaching death of Abraham raises some really important questions in the reader up to this point in Genesis. Driving each scene is the implied question how will God carry out his incredible promises? Will the servant be able to find a suitable wife for Isaac? And if, she, and if he does, is she going to be willing to even go? And will her family be, letting, be willing to let her go? And how will they overcome the inevitable stumbling blocks, you know, that, that, that us as humans have? I mean, because after all, this is a sight unseen marriage. Will she be willing to go right away? And will they continue in a unique covenant relationship that's been, that's been bestowed upon Abraham and how will the chosen line of promise, uh, if they do come together, how, is, how are they going to uphold and are, are they going to live into the shoes of, of Abraham and Sarah, the father of faith? And so how I want to look at the text today and this chapter today is the faithfulness of God to provide a son, the faithfulness of God to provide a spouse, and how Christ chooses us. First, the faithfulness of God to provide a son. Now look at the first chapter, or the first verse. It opens up, and we open up this scene in this chapter, saying that Abraham was very old, but he was a man that was blessed in all things. Abraham was blessed in all things. Really? Was he blessed in all things? Because, I mean, when I first read this, and even knowing of all the promises and everything there, I mean... Abraham had to trust God for a son, and then he had to go to a different land, from his homeland of Ur to the promised land Canaan. And it always seems like, as as we're reading through this, that he's always leaving someone or something behind. And, you know, as he moved to the promised land, he had to leave Lot behind, and then he settled in a land where he owned no property, he lived in tents, and he had to wait 30 years for a son. So does that sound like a man that's blessed to you? Then, finally, he gets his first son, Ishmael, whom he was very glad with, and then he has to send him away. And then finally, when he does receive the son of promise, Isaac, he's asked, go and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah when he's at a young age. I mean, is that really someone who sounds like a blessed man Is he blessed in all things? So, again, as I, when I, I mean, looking at it, the, the natural man, looking at this verse and looking at Abraham's life, I say, wow, what a difficult life. That's difficult. But Abraham was blessed in all things because he's a man who had the promises of God. He had the the covenant blessings in the covenant Messiah, excuse me, in the coming Messiah. He had a God-fearing wife for many years, and he received the promise of a son who would also fear God himself. Abraham was also blessed in material prosperity. He lacked nothing, and God promised his descendants a glorious future. So the Lord provided and did all this despite the various trials that he would go through. So has the Lord blessed you in all things? I mean, is that the way that you view or that you look at your life? Because I think that we're often prone sometimes to look at, to look at our life and just, we have this kind of negative slant towards it. Or that the way that God has dealt with me is like, why me, God? It's like this kind of negative slant. But but if we really if we really just understood for a moment and we really got what you think about you if you think about I deserve a lot worse, I don't get I, I don't deserve any of this and what's really coming to me, then I think that we'd all say, I lead a blessed life, and God has blessed me in all things. Because in the end, when it's said and done, I mean, when your life is over, when when your life is over, you just can't simply lose with God. You can't lose with God because it's God's covenant. It's God's covenant and his promise, and he's not going to blow his reputation on you or me or anyone else for that matter. It's God. You can't lose with God. Now, when we think about Abraham, especially in these last few chapters, While I mean, what we see is that while God's promises are absolutely certain and sure, there's they they require an active participation on our part. Think about that for a minute. While God's promises are certain and sure, they require faithful participation on our part. It's an active participation, and we see that. We see that 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 when God gave Canaan to Abraham. He had to leave where he lived, er, and take possession of it. You see, that's active. It's active. And then when God promised Abraham and Sarah a son, they had to go ahead and and, and be active in towards one another, towards one another in the in the act of procreation. You see, that's active. They had to, they had to actively be faithful in pursuing that. You see, Abraham is acting in his faith through his understanding of God. And the reality of our faith is that, I mean, I know that you guys are, some of you are being put through little tests right now, and some of you are being put through bigger tests. And that's the reality of our faith. I mean, we get tested here. We get tested here, and we get tested there. And, but, but what we see is that although that, when what God has promised isn't quite materializing yet, when it just hasn't come right away, what happens is that our our own desire and our own selfish ambition kind of creeps into that place to go ahead and say, I want to help move things along. Because that's what our culture says. Our culture says, hey, listen, you've got a problem, then do something about it. Do something about it. Don't just sit there, do something. And that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is is not what you've done, but it's what Jesus has already done for you. So too often, we immediately offer a shortcut that deceptively seems to bring us to the same point. And for Abraham and Sarah, their shortcut was Hagar. And in so many situations, the choice that faces us is essentially the same as the patriarch. Patriarchs, all the fathers, every single story that we read and that we come across, we can either one, we can either believe God, even though that that it looks undoable, or follow your own selfish desire towards self fulfillment and try and help God along and try and do it your way. You see, biblical faith is largely a matter of memory. And it's because it's through memory of each generation of believers that that commits itself to the faith of its ancestors. Now, keep in mind, though, that remembering is not just simply an empty mental act. It's not not just an empty mental act. We... um, One of the leading Jewish philosophers of the 20th century, uh, A.J. Heschel, uh, he writes writes this about uh, much of what the Bible, um, uh, uh, much of what the message of the Bible is, is can be simply summed up in one word. And this is what he says. Much of what the Bible demands can be comprised in one word, to remember. To remember means literally to remember the body. To bring the separated parts of the community of truth back together to reunite the whole. The opposite of remember is not forget, but to dismember. The opposite of remember is not to forget, but to dismember. And so oftentimes we have, when we're when we're not, when we're quite, when we're almost just coming undone and and we're we're, we're moving forward in our faith. But then we, we tend to forget what the last thing that God had said to us. And, and there's just like this, there's not this peace. Remember what God has done. Remember just as, as, as um, the priests were um, crossing to the east side of the Jordan and God separated the waters for them. And, uh, and after they crossed over, they said, God said, now go back into the Jordan and pick up these stones and set them on the east side of the land as an Ebenezer. So that when your kids come through the land and they see that, those stones there, they'll ask, why are those stones there? And then they can tell them to remember what, what God had done for them. <clears throat> Excuse me. So to, re- to remember is essentially to bring back together. And, and I think it does, it's, it's a great practical way for us to remember, again, time and time again, what God has done for us. So God's will for Isaac at this point really continued to make demands on Abraham's faith. And so right up to the end, Abraham, at the end of his life, is called to trust God. And so it is for you and me. I mean, you kind of think we never get a break And it doesn't necessarily get easy. And Abraham was being tested right up to the very end of his life. But it's a great way to go out. I mean, Abraham enters and leaves history on the basis of divine promise. So next, the faithfulness of God to provide a spouse. Just as Abraham had no son to trust God and had to trust God for a child, and then he had to trust Isaac for a wife, Isaac had to trust God for marriage. Now imagine for a moment with me um, what it would be like if you were were, uh, commissioned, if you were asked, as Abraham asked, if if, if, if you were that servant that was commissioned with the task of going to find a bride for the heir, how would you go about it? And, you know, I'm glad that the Bible here says that, that it was a wise, aged servant. He had been in, this, in the household for a really long time. Um, because I think that a younger servant probably would have gone about this in a completely different manner. I mean, just, you know, he probably would have come in and rolled into the city with a lot of pomp and uh, a lot of advertisement. Uh, it would have been like, uh, the setting would have been like a Miss Mesopotamia contest. And it, it would be like Cinderella or uh, maybe better yet, like Esther even. And, and it only, there would, could only be one, and he would be saying, listen, I have the, a handsome, young, uh, well, relatively young, I mean 40, um, uh, 40-year-old heir, and he's the only heir. And he, he's, he's been promised all things. And so only one lucky girl would get to, to win this. But how different different was the methodology of this wise servant. Because when his caravan pulled into Nahor, uh, what does he do? He immediately, immediately, the very first thing, and this is characteristic of him, what he's doing at critical points. The very first thing that he's doing is he's praising God or seeking God's will and guidance. And this is what he says. He said, oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. So I know that, like, at this point, you're like, okay, Pastor. You're like, I trust God. I believe God. And I've been praying a lot for a spouse. So tell me, how do I get a spouse? So this is where you guys, like, start taking really very careful notes. And then I will tell you, we will conclude that answer next week. But I do find it interesting that both Jacob and Moses later on found their wives at, at wells. And it was also both... <laughs> well, you guys know where I'm going with that. So, but, but it's after both a long journey. So go on a long journey and then go hang out at a well. Problem solved. No, but seriously what does it look like to get a spouse? And let's look at Isaac, 40 years old and still single. Now, I know what this is like uh, because I was, we, I was three weeks away from my 40th birthday when, uh, I married, uh, when I was married to Erica. And so I know what that's, that's like to be Um, waiting and looking and and, um, I'll just be real transparent and the guys in here that I've been meeting with through counseling and discipleship and premarital and everything and they tell me they're like Tarek I am just undone there's nobody on the radar I'm like listen dude I'm like are you crying yourself to sleep yet and how old are you dude you're 28 forget about it man you got at least 10 more years and then you can talk to me okay So, I know that's what most of you, or many of you, or some of you even, are dealing with. But let, let's look at the end, verse 67, and, and take a look at this. It says this Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And he loved her. Do you notice that love comes last in this chapter? Isaac learned to love his wife in time. Love came after marriage, not before it. Love came after marriage. And the principle is this, is that romantic love is never the basis for marriage. Rather, marriage is the basis for romantic love. So romantic love isn't the basis for marriage. It's marriage is the basis for romantic love. Because, you know, again, in our culture, we are so dominated by the emotion of love. And for some of you, I mean, your idea of love is pretty distorted. It's pretty jacked up. And, but I mean, guys, I just want to give you another way to think about it. Because... I mean I know that we think about attractiveness first and usually the first thing uh, again sitting in premarital or anything the first thing that attracted me to, to Erica I was like she's hot you know <laughs> I, I mean so I understand that attractiveness is that thing but it's not the only thing because I mean we think about attractiveness and all these other things and while they're important important just bear with me I'm trying to just say here look at it this way how about considering it this way because Love is really a choice. And look at how love followed marriage in this story. And anybody here that's been married longer than a day will tell you that it, that it changes anyway. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're in love with the idea of being in love with this person. So learn to love them. Pursue, well, date your wife. Date, in your dating relationship, just keep that in mind. One of the um, books that we go through in premarital is The Meaning of Marriage with uh, Dr. Uh, Timothy and Kathy Keller, and uh, there's a great quote in there. I'm going to read this out of that book. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while, and he or she will change. For marriage... Being the enormous thing that it is means we are not the same person after we've entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you're married. Could you get into that place where marriage is a choice and then... And then be willing to be led by God. Can God lead you to that place? The question that repeatedly faced Abraham again, time and time again. Can God do this? Can he fulfill his promises? Or does he need a little assistance? Slowly, Abraham then basically learned to trust God in the little daily decisions of his life. To trust him completely. And... Maybe, perhaps that's where that some of you are today. I mean, you've trusted God for your salvation. You're like check, but can you trust Him in the daily decisions of your life? Can you trust Him in bringing you a spouse? Can you trust Him to find a job? Can you trust Him to behave, uh, you know, in a particular way in that really difficult? Dating relationship or situation at work. Can you trust him? Can you be led by God? And so, you know, now at this point, after you've exhausted everything, uh, this is where a lot of you, and I mean, and I get to this place often, I'm like, oh God, just, I wish, please give me a sign. If you'd only just give me a sign. And we see that this servant in our story, ask God for a sign. But is it appropriate to ask God for a sign? And how do we interpret the sign? Do we trust the signs? Well, I mean, we often do signs like this. Um, (laughs) Lord, if 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 she's wearing red... Or, or better yet, it's like, oh, my gosh, she brushed my arm. She's the one. I mean, that's, I know that's kind of superstitious, and I don't want to embellish it, but, I mean, that's how we do signs. But look carefully how the servant chooses his sign. It's in verse 21. Verse 21 says that the man gazed at her in silence. The man gazed at her in silence, and he gazed at her in silence while she was going ahead and drawing water for, for ten camels. Do you know how much water camels drink? They drink like 25 gallons an hour or something like that. I don't know. It's, it's a lot of water. So how much, how much do you think that, that um, Rebecca could carry? I mean, how, when the women would go out to fill their pitchers, how big were they? I mean, they were probably like one or two gallons. I don't know. But, and she says, I'm, gonna, I'm not only going to give you a drink, but I'm going to let all of your animals drink. So he had some time to sit back and just, like, watch her. And he's, like, watching her. And she's sweating. I mean, talk about a workout. She was, like, she's probably, like, no wonder she was, like, attractive to look at. She was probably, like, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so, so he sat and he watched her this whole time. He, because what he's looking for, he's looking for her character. So do you see, guys, to look beyond just the, the, the external appearance and look at her character? Is she, is she a hard worker? Does she love God? Does she pursue Christ? I mean, obviously attraction was there, but you should be looking for these signs in your Mate. And whom you should be asking is your community group leaders and your co- people in your community group. And being like, is she a hard worker? Does she love God? Does she serve others? Now everybody's going to sign up for a community group and start asking those questions. But it, that's what you want to be looking for. And not just at, at home or with, your, you know, if for you singles that live with others. But at, what about at work? not only just at home, but also at work as well. So that's how you find a spouse. Now, I mean, ultimately, this whole entire story here is all about God's faithfulness. He protected and guided uh, the servant along the way. And, you know, well, ultimately, this whole story is just a wonderful living illustration of one of my favorite um, Proverbs, which is uh, Proverbs three five and six, or four, five, and six. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all of your ways and he will make your paths straight. So today, the question that I ask you is are you willing to trust God? Will you trust him? Will you look doubt and fear in the face and say, I'm trusting him. Because that's God's will for you. And finally, how uh, Christ chooses us. Really, this whole, studying this whole chapter has been, it's really amazing. I mean, there are so many great things out of it. But really, uh, although that we have the beginnings of a love story here in uh, Genesis 24, there's a deeper meaning here and and a picture of really um, how we become a part of the bride of Christ. Because here we see that it's the story of a father who sends his servant to find a bride for his son. And his son who was conceived in a miraculous way and who would be offered as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. Now, put that together with our story here. Here's Abraham, the father, sending forth his servant. And some say that it's Eleazar, which, whose name means the helper. I think that's kind of cool. But anyway, the servant's unnamed. But whose name means helper, he, he, to fetch a bride for Isaac, the son of promise. Do you see how this portrays a picture of how God sent his Holy Spirit to gather together the bride for his son, Jesus? And we are that bride. We are the physical representation of Jesus Christ's church here on earth. So would you fall in love with Jesus today? If you don't, if you haven't, or maybe you're coming back, would you fall in love with him all over again? Because uh, when you discover the the glory of the Lord and when you see him and, and you stand and, and you're like, I believe I can receive these promises. And, and you're, you know, the love of Christ comes in and, and just expels everything else out of your heart and out of your mind. And you're just like, here I am. I'll go. I'll follow you. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And that's what, I, that's what I, I want you guys to do today is to fall more in love with Jesus. And furthermore, I mean, if he, if he does call you today and if he's calling you now, will you go? I mean, will you go and follow him with a renewed passion, with a renewed zeal to serve him with, I mean, with just, with reckless abandon, will you go and serve him? But even if he lets you, uh, he lets you remain here. And, he, and and you stay. I mean will will you go with him back home and serve him in your home? Will you go with him and serve him at work? Will you go? Will you be subject to his leading, to his guiding, to his provision, to his care? And it's it's wonderful how Rebecca, I mean, she she was sought after before she even knew that Isaac existed. And again, what a beautiful picture that is to know that, that just as Ephesians 1.4 says, that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, we were known. And being made in the image of God, God asks us to choose to be like him. I, I want to choose Christ. I, I, I hope that, that you do today as well. Isaac, uh, you know, Isaac had to go through his own sacrifice, this kind of death and resurrection on Mount Moriah when he was offered up. And it's, it's wonderful just like how in baptism a few weeks ago we celebrated um, that. It was just so fun. But that's just like the Holy Spirit that, that comes and, and, and draws us to Jesus. He draws us to Jesus so that we can die and that we can be reborn in new life again. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you couple yourself to us, God, that you are reuniting us, Lord. You are making us whole, and we thank you. We thank you for the reminder that by your Holy Spirit that, that we are your bride. We are the bride of you, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would remind us of your love and what a great price you paid that you laid down your life for us to be that. So thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for those here today that you are calling and that their response to you would be just like Rebecca who said, I will go. Lord, if there's anything in us that's um, preventing that, Lord, I pray that you would remove that now, that we would be able to respond because, Jesus, you said that you are coming back for your bride. So, Lord, come, and may we be, may we be ready, waiting for you. Amen.